Welcome to Archive of the Month, a podcast by Buckinghamshire Archives. My name is Catherine. At the end of July, we said goodbye to June Whaling. If you have emailed us or called us or visited us, chances are that you have met June. She's been working with the archives here for 22 years. Always on the lookout for podcast content, a few weeks after her retirement, I persuaded her finally to sit down with me on the other side of a Zoom call to talk, at least at the beginning of the recording, about her favourite document in our collection. What follows might be a little bit self-indulgent, but if you've ever wondered about what we do all day and why, no one puts it better than June is about to. A little warning, there's a tiny bit of archivist jargon coming up. The term production This means the physical movement of archives to and from our strong rooms via the people who want to see them. And the name Johnny H, well, you'll have to listen to find out who he is. Have you got a cup of tea? No, I've got a glass of water. I'll have a cup of tea afterwards to calm my nerves. (laughs) (laughs) Okie dokie. Well, hello, June. Hello. (laughs) It has been... Three weeks, four weeks since you left? Yes, it's about three, three and a bit weeks. I thought our little uh, soiree for sending you off in a socially distanced manner in the search room was quite a coup. I thought that was quite nice. I know. I thought it was brilliant the way we did it. And when you look at the photographs, it looks a bit unfriendly as everybody's saying, oh, I'm not going to stand next to you. But of course, it's very much a, a part of these 15 months 16 months we have lived through so it was very lovely it was it was not too sad Daniel and people who spoke kept it upbeat which I was very grateful for because it was a very sad day for me I shall be reappearing (laughs) at some stage in some form I should hope so so, June you've got a whole shelf that is uh, still full of uh, bits and pieces So thank you for agreeing to talk to the podcast today. I have to uh, confess, this is somewhat of a hobby of mine, getting in touch with our little satellite network of old archive staff and getting them to talk about their time. So you are not the first and you will not be the last, but the only one so far that we're putting out as part of our Archive of the Month podcast. And because it's Archive of the Month, we we kind of loosely hang this podcast on the idea that we talk about one document every month. So I'm going to pick your brains and say, what was uh, your favourite document or what is your favourite document? Now, Catherine, that is almost impossible to answer because there's so many which are really interesting, really lovely, some which are very sad, of course. There is one, it is in a way a favourite one because, and I can't give you the the reference number because I don't know it offhand, I could find it, but it is absolutely delightful and and it does make you smile. And when I tell you it's a will, that will be a very strange thing, but it's a will of a lady. Wills are most fascinating the way they bring out people's characters because at the last, there was no time to do anything more. They had to say what their wishes were. You get people saying how they want to divide up their estates for their goods and chattels. This one was a lady who was really concerned about where she was buried and how she was buried. And she gave details about the exact nightgown with frills around her neck that she wanted to be buried in. 
she gave exact details about the place. And please don't bury me under the water level because I don't want, because there's rising water in our local cemetery. And it was just so sweet and so, I suppose, vain in a way, you know, that she, she was so bothered about these details, which, you know, she wasn't going to see. It's a silly thing to say, but it really made me smile at the time, you know, to think that the vanity, I suppose, is what is is how we all feel about, you know, the way we look and so on. You see it in small ways in documents and as well as many other aspects that link us with people three, four, five hundred years ago. That's one that made me smile, I must say. The way you talk about records, Jean, has always really infused me. It's a, a terrible tension in the life of a, an archivist is that uh, we are the gamekeepers almost. It's so seldom that we get to really engage with the documents and try and figure out what's going on. But when we do, oh, golly, there's just so many stories in those strong rooms, isn't there? Yeah, they absolutely are. The, the lovely thing about working in the archives in whatever capacity is that you get an overall view. So this one will that I'm talking about is one of something like 15,000 that we have. It gives you a, an idea of people, numbers of people. And if you go into it a little bit more, uh, where the populations were, and, and that's a lovely thing. Whereas if you visit the archives, you don't quite get to see that kind of overall picture quite in the same way. That's very um, true, yes. Which has been one of the absolute joys, you know, absolute joys of working there is um, seeing Buckinghamshire in the past as a whole, in a very superficial way, maybe, to start with, but then you can pick and choose what you want to go into. But these wills, this one was particularly one I found, but we had a, a member of the Bucks, Buckinghamshire Historical Society who, for years, was doing a very useful thing, which was looking through the wills and taking out the names of executors and not the actual pe person whose will it was, but everybody that he or she left items to and listing them. And of course, the that's now all on their database, which is incredibly useful. So he, this, this member used to, <laughs> used to sometimes sit there and chuckle and would say, what is it? And then he would say, well, this man says that his son has gone to Jamaica and if he doesn't come back, he's only leaving him one pound and that's it, you know. It's like <laughs> just such fun, you know. So, yeah, uh, the wills are a wonderful collection, but we have just so many wonderful collections. I don't suppose even now, after um, 22 years of being there, I've even touched the surface of some of them, you know. I've passed them because, as you say, you're working there, you've got to get items out for people, you know, you've got to check them in and check them out again. But you don't really get to to sit down and study them, you know, in depth. And when you do, it it just blows your mind away, you know, just fantastic things. When you realize the implication, you know, of of what people are saying and being. It's just wonderful. Yeah, I often sort of see the the jo our job as particularly Sally's job and, and cataloging the archives mm. to make them accessible it's you it's, it's a cursory glance almost and a, a filleting of the, mm. the significant bits of a document and of a collection that you think people researchers might be interested in in the future yeah. just yeah. you know putting these little kind of teasers up online on our database yeah. um, and that's yeah. all we can do yes. 
with the size of the, the numbers of documents that are coming and still coming almost daily, certainly weekly, being deposited with us. Don't get me started on all the wonderful accessions we've had since lockdown that have been slowly drifting in. Every time we, as you know, we're using the coffee room at the moment for housing the new accessions. Every time I go in there, something else has snuck in. That's just wonderful. June, I wanted to try and tackle you chronologically because we work with history, we work with the past, we like to do things in a, a kind of a timeline. I was going to ask you about your your first impressions of Buck's Record Office, because that's what it was called then. Uh, mm. Back how many years ago when you started? Uh, 22, 1999, unless my maths is wrong. I think 22, yeah. Gosh. The end of 1999. Before we start on thinking about those early days, I've got a message for you from someone who remembers your start. Oh. So let's see if we can get this to work. Hello June, this is Roger here. Just wanted to congratulate you on achieving 22 years at the record office. I remember it was back in the summer of 1999 when you started and the taking over from John uh, as production assistant. I know it was a bit tricky at first, but we all managed to work together. The fact that you stayed so long suggests that it was a, a success. And then, of course, we must have passed muster because after a few years, you took the important step of deciding to train as an archivist. I remember how much you enjoyed that course, even though it must have been a lot of work for you, having to fit it in around your, your day job and everything else. But I remember how interested you were in the topics and the questions that you were dealing with. And then, of course, not surprisingly, you passed. And then we were able to offer you another job as an archivist. So you've gone all the way, really. We've all benefited. We've all enjoyed working with you. And I know you've contributed a lot to us over the years. And now I hear there's good news that you'll, you'll become a grandmother. You always enjoyed it when colleagues uh, used to come in with their various offspring and now you're able to play the part of a doting grandmother yourself so I wish you a, a long and happy retirement and a long and happy grandmotherhood. <laughs> That's very sweet. <laughs> Roger was the first county archivist that you yeah. worked under uh, you'd go on to tot up two more county archivists that you worked your way through. Yeah. But let's focus on those first years, first weeks. What did you think of the archive when you first stepped through the doors? I'm guessing on when you had your job interview. Yes, um, it was actually Roger and Julian who interviewed me. I was just high with excitement. I mean, this is where I'd always wanted to work, but of course I wasn't trained. I just thought, well, if there's a job going in the archives, I'll take it. It was a production, full-time production job, which became a bit much for me after a while. It, it's, it was very hard physical work, but I loved it. I absolutely love it. And I still think to this day, being the person organizing the strong rooms, working with the documents, making sure they, you know, the right ones go out and the right ones come back in. 
fascinating and beautiful and endlessly, endlessly. I just loved it. But as I say, I used to clean them as well. We used to get a big, big industrial hoover and hoover. It was great fun. But my first impressions were, I, I just, as I say, I was just so excited, you know, just even getting the interview was wonderful. I'm afraid I did feel very strongly angry, actually, when Roger and Julian took me around the strong rooms and I saw all the evidence of old leakages down the walls. And I said, but these are our precious documents. After all this time, you get used to the fact that there are going to be leakages and we all now have been well trained by Sam on how to turn to very quickly and, you know, whip things out, dry them or send them for specialist treatment where necessary. But that did rather shock me. You know, I was expecting this perfect environment for the documents to be stored in. But other than that, I just loved it from the beginning. John, who was my predecessor, I workshadowed him for a week before he left. And he passed on lots of really good calm, sensible ways of working with the documents. Of course, he'd been doing it for, I think, 10 years. So he was, you know, very au fait. Yes, and then, and then I started, and as Roger said in his speech, I was very nervous, and I had a huge amount of learning to do. But everybody was very kind and very patient with me. You know, I would get the wrong things out, or I wouldn't know where things were. But it all fell into place ultimately. And it's just been enjoyment from beginning to end. Really has been, you know, just a wonderful, wonderful job. The job that you did production 100% of the time. We now Mm. split that amongst the staff, don't we? We've all done our shifts of production. And I find that sometimes you can get a bit blasé with the fact that you're carrying a box full of 700-year-old deeds. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember right in the beginning, somebody asked for, I think it was the Wing Church Warden's accounts, and they were, <laughs> I had to get up on a ladder, I remember. And I opened this box, and I was very new, and I was on top of the ladder, and I looked at this box, and I thought, oh my goodness, I'm going to go faint. These books are like <laughs> 1,500, they're 500 years ago. Oh, my goodness. I quickly came down the ladder and, and put them on the table and sort of steadied myself. But, yeah, you, you, that awe that you feel it in the beginning, it doesn't ever, never has left me. But you do get used to it and you don't get terribly worried when the fact that, you know, you, you're going through documents to look for a particular one because you know how to do it. You do it carefully and you do it slowly. I agree with you. You, you do get very used to it, you know, after a while. When you started, the management team was Roger Betridge, who we heard from. That was a, he was a county archivist, and then his manager was Julian Hunt. Do you want to name check anyone else that you've worked with over the years? Well, Sally was there. Sally Mason. Sue was there. Sue Baxter. Of course, David. David Watts was there. He was the search room supervisor. Linda did come at some stage. Linda worked for us for a while. And then when Linda went, she was replaced by Samantha, I think. Samantha left to have a baby and she was replaced by, was it Chris? And then eventually Sue left. So there's been changes. I hope I haven't left anybody out. I'm sure I have. But those are the ones. That's, yes, I have. I've left Liz, Liz, uh, Liz Whittingham. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Different archivists, different assistants. And of course... When you started, there was no local studies. We were literally half the size. 
they were upstairs where the core center is now and they were huge they, they you know they had to reduce quite drastically i think it has definitely hugely enhanced archives to have them next door with the facilities which local studies can offer which are endlessly fascinating as well mostly they are secondary sources and no worse for that you know there's often been times when we've had queries in the archives do you have a document or documents about a particular thing and then we don't but yes we do have books or cuttings in local studies so the two sides are really hugely complementary and so it is lovely to have them close together like that so people can move between the two as well and of course in later years this has been your bag you've been managing all of that sort of public space Uh, just while we're still thinking about those early days what were researchers interested in has that changed no because i was told by people who've been there for a long time that the archives had previously been used mainly by academics but the whole family history thing was moving into gear. But it had, I think, moved into gear by the time I got there because it was a huge amount of that. And of course, you do get the people who are doing a particular study. Very often in university or school holidays, you'll get people who will come and want to just, you know, study a certain set of papers. But um, it's generally family historians now and local historians, very importantly, ongoing at the moment is the footpaths where I think it's 2026 the government wants every footpath in the country noted that'll be that because footpaths have always been a bit of a headache for everybody uh, because simply because they cross private land quite a few groups have come in already local groups to study our old maps to see where the originally the footpaths went so there's a lot of local history going on as well. So you were producing away and pulling out the boxes for everyone for many years but then you decided to do the archives course I should probably explain to people from outside the archives bubble that to qualify as an archivist to work in our sector it has long been the convention that you go through a postgraduate qualification there's about five or six universities in the country that do this uh, and it can be to master's level or it can just be to postgraduate certificate level and it usually takes a year full-time or several years part-time. You, I guess you, you chose to do one of these courses via distance learning. I enrolled at Aberystwyth which again was an absolutely fabulous experience. Lovely, lovely people who guided me through the course. Knowledgeable, kindly, <laughs> patient, <laughs> had to do modern records which I had no inkling about which um, and then there were residential weeks it depended on how you progress through your course but you 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 every two or three modules you went for a residential week those were absolutely such an experience as well I met students from literally all over the world on those residential weeks you know from Hong Kong from Jamaica from everywhere who were doing exactly the same thing as I was distance learning course and it was so interesting founded my view and of course taught me a huge amount but no that was a lovely experience just lovely did you find the idea of going back to university a bit daunting yes and I was by far the oldest I think at the time I was 52 when I first made the application I wrote them a letter because you did in those days or I did and said I don't know if I'm now just 
too old. And they said, oh, no, 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 no. We've had somebody who's nearly 80 who came and did an archives course. And I thought, oh, goody. <laughs> but then but that didn't matter at all. We were all students together. And we had the same problems. We had a little student group that we used to chat on. So, yeah, it was it was an amazing experience. One, I, you know, I just never ex- expected to have that um, at that time in my life. I just thought, wow, I'm so lucky. When I did the archives course, the most fun thing for me, the most useful thing was getting to be nosy and go around the other organisations' archives. We did that. We went to Birmingham, which is the public library. I think it was in the, they were just moving then. Uh, to another premise. Uh, We went to some London archives. We went to the Transport Museum archive. So that was a huge experience, just to see how other archives keep their documents and arrange things. And we went to the Guildhall, which I think the Guildhall's archives are now all at MLA, aren't they? Gosh, that does date you, June. I seem to remember when that happened, when those moved. That was a while ago now. You don't regret doing the course and all the uh, oh, no, extra no, no, work no. that has been piled your way since then? No, no, never. I know, and quite honestly, if it hadn't been for my granddaughter, I'd still be there. Um, we know this to be true. <laughs> yeah, you do know this to be true. And, you know, it's it would be a case of my getting, you know, another five or six years on and thinking, well, I could just do a year or two more, couldn't I? I could just do a year. You know, it's very difficult to leave. And do you know someone else who knows that to be true? Uh, Another former county archivist, Laura Cotton, and she's got this to say to you. Oh. Hello, June, it's Laura. I just wanted to send you a little message to say congratulations on your retirement. I can't really believe that you're retiring. I remember you very clearly telling me that you would never leave the archives. But I suppose becoming a grandma has uh, fulfilled your lifelong ambition and that's more important as it should be. I've been thinking a little bit about our time together, working together over so many years. I've got so many memories of different things that happened while we've been working to- while we were working together. Some of them good, some maybe not so good. I think that the main thing I will always remember about you is the copious amounts of tea although as I've said to you many times before I'm not sure that you could call it tea being as you know it's really a wafting of a tea bag over the top of a cup of hot water and adding milk I think one of the things that is always there for me is thinking about the work that you did on the Wickham District Council collection as part of your archive course and the fact that it's never been finished. And I'm sure you're leaving and it's, it probably still hasn't been done. I was also thinking about the the couple of times when I've been trying to uh, de-accession material and you got very cross with me and wouldn't let me throw away duplicate council minutes and decided to take them home with you. And I'm sure they're probably still in your house now. But yeah, I think it's really important that the end of your time working in the archives as you as you go into retirement to kind of reflect back on all the all the positive things and obviously I did that just before I left as well so I'd like to think that it's been an enjoyable time and uh, certainly was for me and I'm sure it has been for you and that you feel that everybody who you've worked with over this time is part of your family because that's I know what I feel so enjoy your retirement 
enjoy your time as a grandma. I know you will, and I'm sure you are already. And I know we'll keep in touch and I'll speak to you soon. Bye. That's lovely. How That's sweet of, of um, Laura and Roger too. <laughs> did, you, did you muscle arm them? Did you strong arm? Maybe a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little well, bit. thank you. That's um, lovely, Catherine. Well, so Laura has taken us up to just maybe beyond your archive course. After a little bit, after the dust had settled on your archive course, a job came up for an archivist yeah. at what was then the Centre for Buckinghamshire Studies. Yeah, that's right. What did you uh, think about your promotion and what were you asked to do first, first of all? What was your step up? Oh, my Goodness. I was, of course, no, no longer doing full-time production, but we were all doing some production, including mm -hmm. Roger, county archivist. So we all continued with that. We, of course, had to run the search room and the local study search room at that stage, 2008, I think, were, was very much in charge of the lovely Bill, who most tragically died um, round about that time. So then Rachel took over didn't take over as such, but she was the most au fait with, you know, she'd been working with Bill for so long. So the staff had to be slightly shuffled around, but we all did a bit of that. We did a bit of cataloguing. We did a bit of answer. We all took our turn in answering emails. So we, it was, it was not as it's organized today. We all did a little bit of, there was a variety of things that we all took part in. And then circa, 2015, Laura took on the role of county archivist and there was a big reshuffling. And then you got a, a new specialism. Oh, yes, yes, the public services. Yes, exactly, yes. Of which line managing the staff was only a part. It was looking after the search rooms, delegating work for people to do various jobs, drawing up a daily and weekly rota. We continue to serve in, this, in the search room because the way staff leave and, and illness and so on took, took its toll. Archivists were still used in the search room at that stage. And that was great fun because putting the public with their queries into contact with documents that we might, might have, but we had to find them, we had to think hard and find them, that would answer those queries is one of the most satisfying things. My new role took me a little bit further away from that, unfortunately. Um, it was more managing the way things were run in, in the search rooms and so on. I knew that by then, I knew this, the strong rooms still do very well where things are. So I could help perhaps staff who needed help. If they needed a hand and I could jump in and, and, and help them with that. Yeah, it's, it's been a lovely job. On my second day, June, going back to what you were saying about the strong rooms and knowing your way around, on my second day, you gave myself and Victoria and Peter, we all started together, you gave us a tour, which you never finished, by the way. I think we got as far as strong room two in about That's three true. hours. And mm -hmm. I know now that when, I, when we're open to the public and we give tours, I know not to set you off before lunchtime because you'll just... You know, you'll, you'll, you'll keep the people there talking. But anyway, back to when you gave us a tour. You, I was just impressed. Any archive strong room for security reasons. We, we just put codes on boxes, don't we? We don't really say what things are. 
and you just had this instinct for knowing what was where and what was in each box. It's a kind of knowledge that comes through time, but when you're when you're new, it can be very, very intimidating. And it was to me, I promise you, yeah, when I was new, it was it was very daunting. It was thrilling, but daunting because, you know, there were people waiting for documents and I didn't know where, where to go or, you know, <laughs> you do settle into it in time yeah. and you get to know. It's, it's just simply practice. Still to this day, I'm almost more familiar with the strong rooms and where things are than sometimes, sometimes towards the end, I was very much more familiar the last few years. But in the beginning, uh, when I took over the, the role, it, it, you know, it, it, finding things in catalogues was more difficult for me than just going out to the strong room and actually getting the article out. You know, you want that from 1767. It's a land tax. I know exactly where that is. I'll go and fetch it for you. But when you work in the search room, people want to see the lists of what things are. And I had to learn where all the catalogues, the lists of things were kept under which headings, you know, were they district councils or town councils or you know what I mean yeah I, th I think the those strong rooms are very close to my heart and um, and I think it was you who told me that the the first three strong rooms have their, their characters it's a bit different with the newer strong rooms but strong rooms one two and three so one is the, the heart of a collection of quarter sessions and registers of electors and two is all the religious records Mm. Uh, and then three is all the private collections and yeah. that, that stood me in good stead <laughs> yeah that was a start I knew if it was something with something with a, a parish code at the start it was going to be in two if it was an RE it was going to be in one and, and sometimes mm. just knowing that and those are very popular records indeed aren't they yeah yeah still are probably some of our most that's the other thing you do find in the beginning you're a bit overall but you do find that Generally, there's certain collections which come out most, and those are the ones that you get to know very quickly. And then anything else, you slowly learn about. But, you know, as you say, parish are really popular for family history. I've got two more questions for you before we wrap up. Yep. So first off, I was going to ask you a little bit about lockdown and what it was like fielding all the inquiries we got into the inbox during lockdown, because... From where I sat, it seemed like we suddenly had a lot more inquiries because everyone was set at home having a think. Yeah, and not having access to the actual documents, which seemed strange at first, but worked our way around it. I mean, if people obviously couldn't come in. They couldn't look at the documents which they may have been inquiring about or inquiring if we had anything. So we had to rely, or I had to rely a lot on directing people to other places, you know, to online resources, which were not as good, but which might have helped temporarily. Searched our own catalogue endlessly and photographic database. Sometimes it was just nothing we could do. We just had to, you know, people wanted copies of things, just had to say, I'm so sorry, but can you come back, you know, when we reopen, just watch our blogs and things to see when that will be. The Buckinghamshire Family History Society had all their information, which are very largely taken from our collections. They had them to hand in the lockdown so they could help people a little bit. It was a, a deeply frustrating experience because we were all sat I, in our homes, yeah. not being able to get our hands on the collections. Yeah, terrible, terrible. Not being able to, that lovely smell of yeah. old books as you come down the stairs. 
uh, it's just a it's just a totally unique smell. And I think as well, one of the things I really miss every morning is walking down the stairs and getting that whiff of just hundreds of years of old documents and books. And you, you know, we just we were just so separated from what was our the main reason for our being there, you know. Okay, and then the final thing I wanted to come to, June, is that there is a gentleman that we need to talk about, isn't there? A certain Mr. John Hamden. Oh, yes, yes, there is, isn't there? Well, I was wondering when you'd ask me that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You are renowned as being our office expert on uh, the Bucks Civil War legend, that is John Hamden, and not only an expert, but an ardent fan. So much so that you were part of the, you were on the trustees of the John Hampton Society for a, a number of years as well. Yes, until I started my studies. I think he's a great man, but the main thing is he's a Bucks man. I'm very fond of Buckinghamshire. I've lived here for 43 years, I think, end of this year. Hampton was, although he was a public figure and a national figure, he was also local. Very difficult to judge people not from our time and put ourselves into their mindset but I think within his period and what he could do he was he was a very noble human being and he tried his best in most horrible circumstances. For anyone who doesn't know John Hampton Mm. was a local politician Mm. and civil war he was a a roundhead uh, against the royalists what else do people need to know about him? Oh, Catherine, I wish we did have his papers, of which he must have had numerous items, but they just have not appeared after all this time. So I'm talking about his papers, perhaps uh, to do with his farm. He had a vast estate, you know, um, his family, his forebears had married well, and they owned, oh, earlier on, they owned huge numbers of vast tracts of land in Bucks. Just the the running of those estates, those papers just don't exist. We have them post-Civil War, so we have it during his son's time Mm. in the archives, the wood books from the Hampton Estate, for instance. But then his political stuff, who was he writing to? Who wrote to him? And that's never appeared. And of course, I'm very hopeful in my optimistic manner that there may still be Somebody somewhere sometime will open a loft or a cupboard and say, oh, my goodness, these are John Hampton's papers. (laughs) We live in hope. We live in hope, yeah. No, he was, you know, he was a local person who, because he was a man of standing, as people in those days were, he took part in local politics. Um, He played his part in as a magistrate. We have some evidence of of that, but nothing that can tell us how John Hampton thought very much. Um, and that's what interests me. But nevertheless, what we have is very valuable, and there's some excellent books being written about him. Yeah, he is a hero of mine, absolutely. As my daughter calls him, Johnny H. For you. Yes, as we call him in the office as well, old Johnny H. Okay, June, I think I have probably kept you from your next cup of tea for long enough. Is there anything else that you want to add or say? There's so many people over the years, visitors, had really nice chats too, and we've we've got got good memories of them. And I'd just like to say thank you for all your input, and I will be back. I'm not too far away, (laughs) never too far away from the archives. 
But just to say, I left in a hurry, and it's not that I didn't want to say goodbye. It's just with our lockdown, we were having so few people in. I just didn't get to see many of the people I would like to say goodbye and not goodbye, just bye for now. Can I uh, tell you a bit of gossip, June? Yes, please. The, the first day after that I was back in the office, after uh, you'd left, I noticed that your chair had been appropriated by a, a colleague of ours. <laughs> oh, really? From my point of view, it's just been absolutely wonderful sitting opposite you for five years. And I shall be bereft without someone to uh, have a cup of tea with and to ask my silly questions where I really should know the answers to, but it's just much easier to ask you. (laughs) Enormously miss the companionship we've had with everybody. It's just been a joy.